This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeves, and we are here to become better habitat managers. Thank you guys all once again for tuning in. We have a great episode for you here today. We have Mr. John Furman out of North Carolina, and we are talking about duck holes. That's right, guys. Duck habitat, waterfowl habitat, how to create a duck hole, how to improve a duck hole. What is a duck hole? Everything that John does at his company to help local landowners improve the back, you know, pothole on their property to attract local ducks, which will then attract migratory ducks. We cover, you know, where John's from, how we got into the outdoor space and waterfowl hunting. We talk about what waterfowl habitat actually is. We talk about his approach to land management and habitat there doing, you know, the duck hole work. Um, We get into a few great secrets, tips and tricks that uh, (laughs) John said you probably shouldn't have let out, let out of the bag there. Um, We also talk about some other projects that, that he works on and he's a big uh, volunteer at Ducks Unlimited, and, you know, we talk about the, the great things that DU does as well. And then lastly, we cover his favorite tree and shrub for duck hole habitat. So, guys, this is a really refreshing episode. I grew up duck hunting. It's really where I cut my teeth, really where I learned uh, to get in the outdoors. And, and my dad's a big duck hunter, so it's kind of, you know, the first time I have to go along was, was doing that sort of thing. I still remember the day I shot my first duck like it was yesterday, and uh, just really a, a great conversation, um, 
some cool perspective with perspectives with some sea ducks and some different uh, you know different things that they're dealing with in North Carolina that we don't deal with up here in Michigan, etc. But just just a great conversation, and, and I hope you guys enjoy it. I want to talk um, about our land plans, guys. We are continuing to push those out. We are uh, just booked one in Virginia here recently. We're talking to another gentleman now in Indiana, and then uh, you know our, our buddies Chris and Mike uh, in Nebraska and Ohio. We cover in this episode a little bit because they have duck impoundments on their property where we talk waterfowl habitat. So it's pretty cool to to really see how this stuff can be worked into a plan and some suggestions that that even we're learning about as we go in terms of the waterfowl side of things. So if you're interested in having us come out and, and check out your property, help you get started on your habitat plan uh, in case you're not really sure where to start, or if you just a different, you know, a different look at it and and some thoughts. You know, we offered a bunch of different plans, a bunch of different services. All that can be found at habitatpodcast.com slash land plans. Um, on the homepage, you'll see the tab up top says land plans. Check us out there. And feel free to just shoot us an email, ask us some questions. Um, we're really just here to help create better habitat so you guys can experience better habitat and hunting and wildlife on your property. And we've been doing a good job at it, I think, and, and our, our customers and clients seem to think so too. So all that is at HabitatPodcast.com, as well as, you know, hat, shirts, gear, decals, all that good stuff. We have some Habitat journal posts up there where our blogs are up there. We're going to really start pumping those out more again here soon. So feel free to check us out there. You can find everything there. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a good review. Uh, Spotify, um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. You know, Brian and I were having some chats this week where we were at the Exodus uh, Trail Camera Studio about, you know, really trying to start working on that YouTube a little more, getting that up and going better than what we've been doing. And uh, that's that's on the docket, guys. So check that out. Be sure to subscribe. You know, hit that notification bell to know that when we post a video, you'll be notified. And then uh, you can, you know, tell us what you think of the video. So thanks for doing all that. I know it sounds like a lot, but it really helps us more than you know. And it only takes a couple seconds out of your day to, to really go and subscribe and, and do that. And all the links are below this episode in the show notes. So all you have to do is go click HabitatPodcast.com and it will take you to all of that. I want to thank Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. I know um, Chad has been busy working actually on the back 40 property from Wired to Hunt. He's part of the Habitat crew out there, along with Drew Gilby and Corey Francis, among some others. I know that um, right now is a hot time to buy or sell land. So if you guys are looking to sell your property while the market is hot, look up Chad and Lincoln over at uh, Realtree Country United Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. They are burning through listings as fast as they can. Um, really, I think Lincoln has a new listing actually up in Sand Lake, Michigan. It is a 40 acre property, I believe. Um, yeah, right up in Sand Lake near the Grand Rapids area, 180 K, uh, looks like a great setup. So, you know, a new listing on the market is kind of rare to find these days as fast as these things are moving. So check out that new listing. Good job, Lincoln and Chad, keep that up and you guys can get to their website 
uh, by going to our website, clicking the logo, or check them out on, on Facebook at Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. All right, well, I want to thank you all for coming back once again and listening. Let's get right into it with John Furman, a.k.a. Furman, from the Duck Hole Company. All right, guys, we're back. The Habitat Podcast, we have trusty but not rusty co-host Brian Hallblad out of Pennsylvania. Brian, what's going on, man? Doing well, man. Summer's coming, vacation time's coming, and just loving life. How about you? Yeah, the same, the same. Got to spend uh, some time out with the wife uh, last night, you know, hot and muggy, did a little little golfing with her, got her out for the first time in about 15 years, so that was fun. Um, nice. Yeah, the kids are over at, at Mimi and Pappy's, so we're just, you know, working and, and playing a little bit right now, and then, you know, it was, it was great seeing you last week over at the uh, Exodus headquarters. That was a pretty good time. Yeah, we got invited back, so I guess we didn't screw that up too bad. Heck yeah, at least not yet. <laughs> and our special guest tonight, guys, we have Mr. John Furman out of North Carolina. What's going on, Furman? Not a whole lot. How are you? Doing good, buddy. Doing good. Well, we, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for hopping on. Glad we could get you on here. I know... Um, you're a you're a listener of the show, you said, so that's pretty awesome. Thanks for doing that. Really, oh, I love the show. So, yeah, I enjoy it. I will admit, um, I know there's some stories out there about shooting bucks and things like that that I don't always get to catch. But any of the other habitat podcasts that you have, I love to listen to those. So, no problem. Yeah, that, I know what you mean. Those are the. Uh, the habitat-related ones, pure habitat, like no, you know, hunting stories or, or game plans, those are the highest downloaded episodes. They're definitely the the habitat geeks like us, like, by far. So that, that makes perfect sense. I hear you there. Well, I would probably listen to them if I was a deer hunter, but I'm just strictly a duck hunter. I don't go after turkeys or deer or bear or anything else. I just love duck hunting. So um, it's nothing against y'all. I just... That's how I am. No problem. Hey, I, that's how I cut my teeth duck hunting. First thing I ever ever killed was a, a, a Drake Mallard. So I hear you there. Um, let's hear about, you know, who you are, where you're from, and uh, and then a question. Do you think because you don't have any other hobbies like deer hunting or turkey hunting that makes you a better duck hunter? So I can start with where I'm from. Um I'm from a small town called Chocolate right there in eastern North Carolina. And basically we, we have a bunch of rivers right there with marshes and swamps that just offer a lot of good duck hunting. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think because I strictly duck hunt, I think it, it helps me um, to focus in and focus on one thing. Yes, sir. That makes sense to me. And have you been in uh, North Carolina your whole life? How old are you? If you don't mind me asking. Um, if it was up to my wife, I'd be 40 right now. <laughs> She's so ready to plan that surprise birthday party. <laughs> but um, I'm I'm a few years from 40, so. Cool. Uh, around, yep. I don't like to say it anymore because every time I say it, I'm like, ooh, I'm getting old. So. 
I thought about that as it came out of my mouth. I'm like, Jared, maybe that wasn't polite of you to ask, but it was already too far gone. <laughs> I don't mind it. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, close to 40. Um, lived in Chocolaty. Um Actually, my family's from Chocolaty. I spent most of my time just outside of it, but I always adventured back every summer um, and then sometimes during the fall. And later on in life, my family actually, they moved from outside of Greenville back into Chocolaty. So um, I actually moved to Charlotte about 10 to 12 years ago, just before I turned 30. Um, you could say my mom would call me a, a late bloomer. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do in life with my career, but I just loved being outside. And at the same time, I was book smart. My friends would kind of call me special because, you know, there's people with common sense and people with book sense, and I always fell under that category of book sense. But it won't until later on in life that I actually hammered down, went back to school, um, got a couple of degrees, and now I sit behind a computer, which is very random. <laughs> no, that's some great, some great background there. I mean, honestly, it's like – you not knowing what you wanted to do, I mean, shoot, I think everybody can say that. Um, it took me about as long to figure that out myself. So, Now, are you guys, uh, you got a big family in North Carolina? Are you, you guys, um, you know, kind of got a bunch of roosts on there, or or um, are you kind of yeah. from all over the place? So, basically, my, my family, mom and dad's side, are both from eastern North Carolina. Um, One's more from, like, the Janesville area, Beargrass area, and the other one's from Chocolaty. So okay. my dad's roots are pretty strong right there. I think I'm the fourth or fifth generation out of Chocolaty. Very nice. So hope to get back there one day and live the rest of my life, but we'll see how it goes. Well, I know you're you're kicking butt on Instagram. Um, I, we follow you on, or, or we do now. I thought we followed you. We follow <laughs> you on. I've, I've been seeing your posts. So I don't know how I've been doing that. I've been checking you out. I must have just been checking you out. I know Brian has as well. Um, you got the 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 duck hole company, duck hole restoration. You know, you're a big waterfowler. Um, Ducks Unlimited. Uh, what? chapter member or, or a leader um, so so i am one of the chapter members up up here in charlotte uh ducks unlimited and i've been with them now for eight years or so and just as a volunteer you you're there for a little while the way those things work you kind of need to have some structure behind it to keep it going and i'm one of the chairmen there so this year i'm part or mainly in charge of the gala that we have and like, how how big is your volunteer group in your in your area? I mean, Charlotte, that's a pretty big area, pretty big city. So I'm sure you guys got a big group. Well, it's a pretty big area, but at the same time, it's not a predominant area for duck hunting. Got it. So when you when you look back at the coast, you have a lot of large chapters, um, whereas we're very small. I mean, we can range from ten to fifteen folks, but usually right. there's about a core ten of us that stay there and we really work hard it, it's almost like running a business honestly but we do make time to have fun 
Yeah, no, I uh, I, pre- I actually am pretty pretty aware of that. I was I was a volunteer here near my home in the Huron Valley DU chapter for oh, I don't know probably five six years. Um, it's all we did. We'd meet all the time, and it was a bunch of work. But we you know we had a great time with it and um, raised a bunch of money for for conservation DU habitat the whole thing. It's a great cause for sure, and if you're a waterfowler, I highly suggest you get involved at some level. Um, while a lot of people think that the dollars go to the breeding grounds, they do go to other areas where Ducks Unlimited will partner with folks, purchase land, to rehabilitate it, bring it back to its natural state. And um, one of the projects they've just done recently was up on the Yatkin River, just north of um, Charlotte, so um, it's good to see the dollars come home. Charlotte Ducks Unlimited, as far as a chapter, we might be a dozen folks, but we really push the limit. I am part of like the IT chairman position, so a lot of social media content you see from them is actually from me. So Very nice. So, John, what got you into the uh, waterfowl space? Did you start hunting with uh, family members or friends and walk us through kind of how you were introduced to that? All right. Well, long story short, I guess, I've always been a person that loves to be outdoors. Um, My family nicknamed me Trey Fish because it didn't matter where I was, I was going to be in water. I will... I didn't start hunting, I'd say, until my early 20s. I did go hunting one time with my stepdad for deer hunting. Um, we sat up in a tree, saw a couple of does. I, I put the gun on the doe and kind of squeezed the trigger or like I was going to squeeze the trigger, and I said, pow. Um, and my stepdad kind of looked at me and said, I'm letting her go. So, And then my brother shot her right out in the field so <laughs> that was my <laughs> my deer hunting experience per se um but what really got me into hunting was dogs i started off with some beagles running rabbit dogs with some a buddy of mine and then kind of shifted into walker dogs and fox dogs um running deer and did that for a little while and you know it was one of those things where once deer season went out, I still liked to hunt. So a friend of mine hit me up and said, hey, you want to you wanna go duck hunting? And I was like, well, I'll go, but I don't have a, a duck stamp or any of the stuff, so I, I'm, I'm just going to sit back and watch. And they took me out sea duck hunting. We didn't do too good. Uh, I watched them shoot one duck, and then we went into – Back in the Swan Quarter area, went to a, a private impoundment with a pit blind, and we crawled in there where this boy basically blew a swan call till his head fell off and just watched hundreds and hundreds of swans come through. So wow. that kind of introduced me to waterfowl, and I was kind of spooled at the beginning being with the folks I was, but, you know, wasn't shooting, didn't have a gun, just sitting, observing, loving to be out there, and it kind of hooked me. For the next few years, I, I maintained running dogs for a while, but as soon as January hit, I was calling my buddies like, hey, you know, y'all got a spot on your boat? I'd love to go. 
Um, so that's kind of where my hunting experience came from. And then duck hunting, it really took off about the wrong time. I left East North Carolina and moved to the western part of Carolina where there aren't a whole lot of ducks compared to back home. And I don't know, it was just, I had to get rid of my dogs, still wanted to be outdoors, and duck hunting just fit right into the picture. So uh, I just dove right into that, honestly. It, it suckered me in, especially when you, you get a few good hunts where there's a lot of ducks coming in. Um, oh, yeah. You can't beat that adrenaline rush. So you mentioned the deer season ending and looking for something to do. What are, what are the seasons typically like for North Carolina? Are they later? Um, you have an early season. I believe it's September. Bow season comes in for a little while. And then in October, you got black powder. And then it goes to, in, in my particular counties, it went into um, rifle season. And rifle season stayed from, I think, sometime in the end of October all the way up to the end of December. Okay. Um, a lot of deer down here. So you're doing a lot of right. waterfowl hunting after the first of the year? That's right. What type of ducks are you but typically seeing there? Wood ducks, widgeon, teal, pintails, gadwall. A lot of divers, bluebills, redheads, a couple of canvas bags, nice. and then you got your sea ducks, um, common scoter, you got your clowns, occasional white wing, and then occasional old squall, which are elusive. So yeah, that's had, pretty had nice quite variety. And a, yeah, wow. Quite, quite the variety, and then, you know, the access to public land hunting was really good. You just had to be careful what county you were in because you might need a boat blind or you might not be able to set up 500 yards from a blind or, you know, a lot of duck hunting history in North Carolina. So you have to be careful where you are and make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. So how did you transfer from that into the waterfowl land management? I can thank Ducks Unlimited for that. Um, just networking, folks knowing knowing me from where I was from was a big part of it. They knew I loved duck hunting. If I wasn't spending time with my family and work, I wasn't going out boating, hanging out with my buddies, drinking or anything like that. I was just all about duck hunting and got invited one day to go to a private duck impoundment um, back home from somebody who owned it up in Charlotte. So it was kind of odd. I went from public hunting to getting invited to a private impoundment around where I was public hunting and then just getting suckered into it, loving it. <laughs> um, the ease of it, the access was fantastic. So, yeah, yeah I got in, I, Well, I was going to say I got invited to hunt the duck impoundments. And the first time I really got into one that was private, um, person told me, they were like, hey, look, you know, you're going to go in here. The ducks are probably going to leave before we go out. They're not going to come back until after shooting time, and we got to go in. So I just started laughing. I was like, all right, well, what I've heard is when you get in a private duck impoundment, you're killing ducks. Um, 
there's just no doubt no doubt about it. And so sure. we went <laughs> we went in there and sure enough, um when you're walking in there was just, you know, hundreds and a thousand of ducks or so and they got up and flew away because, you know, we walked in and then we sat there and a few trickled in, maybe two or three got shot and then that was it for a day and then in the afternoon you got excited again and I went in there and I sat up and maybe one or two flew in between all of us and we shot them and then we had to put the guns up and they said get ready and watch the show and I was like well, what are you talking about and the next thing I know I mean it was almost like it was still daylight but you got sunset yep. hours and you can't shoot past them and here comes the ducks galore I mean I had a dozen to a dozen and a half really nice full sprig pintails come and land right in front of me. Are you kidding me? And I'm just, I'm dead serious. I'm like looking at that guy. I'm like, come on, you can see them clear as day, but you know, shooting light, shooting light. So, um, but they just kept funneling in and funneling in and they kept doing it till dark. And when we walked out, they were still funneling in. <laughs> and, uh, I was just like, do y'all ever get to shoot them? And they're like, well, occasionally we do. You need good weather, but, you know, it's corn and they roost in the corn. So yeah. that was my first private land experience. And, you know, the following up after that, I got invited a few times and I was allowed to bring a friend and I brought one of the predominant folks I public land hunted with. And we shot a lot of, a lot of ducks on public land. And I brought them in with me and, it kind of did the same thing, and later on he asked me, he said, man, he said, why Why are you going to these places like this if, if that's all it's going to be? You, you can kill a lot more ducks on public land. I said, man, there's got to be a, a greater trick than this. Cornfields just ain't going to work all the time. Um, so it opened up some opportunities. I don't think we ever got into my background before I went to school um, later in life, but Family owned a, a landscape and a lawn maintenance company, and since I was about nine to my late twenties, I spent time in landscaping, planting things, and lawn maintenance, cutting grass, watching how things grow. Always had a green thumb per se. I can I can claim my mama on that one. She does really good with the flowers and nice. growing grass and everything else. Um, but that. That kind of got my head spinning while I was sitting there, and I asked one of the folks, hey, um, you know, I know we come in here, but do you mind if I start trying a few things, like if I just plant around the edges of the corn or something? And they were like, well, you most certainly can, just know that we're not asking you to. And I was like, I understand that. I said, but you've been so nice to allow me to, to hunt with y'all, and whether we shoot ducks, ducks or not, it's just, you know, friendship. That's what I like about duck hunting. You're sitting in a blind and you just meet and talk, and it's, it's a good time. Amen. Um, so, you know, I, I trust everybody, just not the devil inside of them. Um, so I was cautious, and they were my friends, and they said, sure, you know, try a few things. And I think this has been going on about five or six years. And during that time, I've got a couple of more duck holes that are private that I had access to that, I could try some things, and I think it was about three years ago, I felt like this one particular spot, I nailed it, you know, I nailed it down. Um, I worked with the farmer right, 
I plan the plants right, the timing, and the few times that we went to hunt, we did really well. Um, and I was like, okay, I think I got the plants I want, but let, let's try it again. And then the following season, uh, I tried it again, and yet we had water issues, and it was like 2019 season, so it was really hot. There weren't hardly any ducks anywhere, and I, I was just like, man, I feel for these outfitters and the po- like the people that have to depend on this for a living because it's got to be tough. Um, so it wasn't really a great season, but it did provide me with a lot of opportunity while I was sitting there not seeing a whole lot of ducks to shoot. I had a couple of other areas that had, you know, swamps and things like that. and I really took notice to the wood duck. Um thinking about, man, if, if you go to the beach and you want a good restaurant, who do you ask? Or if you go on a vacation and you want a good restaurant, who do you ask? Well, you Locals. ask your, your local folks. And so as I'm sitting there looking at a few wood ducks, and I'm like, well, there, there ain't a whole lot of wood ducks here. I went to another spot, and I found a hole that was it's about an acre, but it was flooded timber, and then it had kind of an impoundment that butted up to the edge of it, and it was just all natural. It wasn't like a flooded impoundment. It was a natural impoundment. And I noticed the wood ducks were real thick in there. I mean, there was probably 100, 200 in there, and this wow. I felt like a migration that hadn't even occurred. And I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And um, so instead of hunting, I spent a lot of my time just observing them in the woods. Uh, while I was doing that, uh had a, a friend reach out and say, hey, I, I got another duck hole if you want to check out. And he's one of, you know, I call him my, my left-hand man, and I've got another guy that's my right-hand man. <laughs> and they're my gunners. <laughs> but he said, hey, I got access to a spot. Let's go check it out. And it, it was the same thing that year. Um, we walked in. It was slap full of all the right native vegetation, moist soil, and it was just twice as many wood ducks. And I was just like, wait a minute, what's going on? Like, why aren't these ducks sitting out in cornfields, things like that, where folks can, you know, shoot? Why are they back here in this natural stuff? And I was like, well, they're the locals. So um, it got me thinking, if I can attract as many wood ducks and keep as many wood ducks in a hole, especially in, in North Carolina, and I know there's a greater chance that come fall, some migrators are going to come over or something's going to come over and say, wait a minute, there, there's the locals right there. Let's, let's drop in and say hello. Uh, Interesting. And that's just kind of where I took it. That's kind of where I took it. Um, I started researching some more about around wood ducks, what they like to eat, um, how to keep them in your hole. And it just led one thing to the next. So, Last year, I started the duck hole company because I kept basically turning my my own free time into my hobby, and my hobby started turning into folks reaching out to me saying, hey, hey, I I got a hole. Um, I only hunt it once or twice a year. You mind coming and looking at it for me, and, you know, let's do something. So I just I got to work, and that's kind of where, where I've gone now, I reckon is the best way to put it. Is there any 
like personal things you want to know about what I look for? Or? Yeah, no, exactly. You're you're leading us right into the next question here for a minute. So I want to know what is waterfowl habitat and like what's your approach? Like what <clears throat> what natives are you seeing in these holes? And you're like, all right, this is right, this is right. You know, like what are I guess, like, what's the best habitat when you come across it and it is right? And then if it's not right, what are you doing? What's your habitat approach? All right. So I'm no biologist by no means. Um, I I just think a duck hole is a place that has local ducks, and local ducks are there because you have good food. And what I have noticed from, let's see, in eastern North Carolina, you have a lot of marshes, and then you'll have a lot of flooded ditches, things like that, that you're dealing with. And that's where I see all the wood ducks hang out. So, well, I'm trying to figure out how to, to phrase this approach. Um, there's just so many different holes, honestly. Sure, no. Start with. Um, all right, so if we start with waterfowl habitat as far as a marsh goes. So in East North Carolina, we got a lot of marshes in those potholes. Um, we get a lot of black ducks, things like that. Um, you really can't do a whole lot with that. But if you find a good pothole that has good vegetation, you can usually find a, a black duck in there, especially on the coastal marshes. Um, besides that, you, you typically see a flooded impoundment. It could be of any size, an acre or a hundred acres. And inside those impoundments, you usually see a farmer planting corn and either harvests it and replants something. Um, or if it's in some type of government program, they'll typically leave it there the entire time and a hunting club will lease it and come in and flood the corn and they try to hunt the corn. But I'm not against corn, but I think the better habitat that you can provide is going to be moist soil. So any type of moist soil plant that you can get in there is great. It doesn't take a lot of work. You can technically call it lazy farming, per se, um, where you go in, depending on when you draw down, there's three different times. There's early, mid, and late usually about 45 days each cycle. Um, when you draw down, it'll actually allow certain plants and species to grow based on it, but I'd prefer to draw down late, um, sometime starting into June, into July, get it down to about six inches of water on top so I don't break hydrology, and then I let the sun uh, with 70-degree to 90-degree days um, really bait that water and evaporate right. it and then you have your rain showers come through and keep it moist from the top but at the same time it doesn't suck the moisture out from the soil um, that'll allow your your wetland plants or your moist soil plants to grow yeah your, so. your aquatic vegetation if you will and, and you're saying when we say draw down you mean lower the water level is that right right okay you'll hear a lot of people say you want to you want to do it in about two weeks, man. Okay. And what type of um, – you mentioned those black ducks out on the coastal marshes and whatnot. What, what type of vegetation would you say are you seeing 
a lot of the like like what's the most common? Maybe top three vegetation aquatic. Unfortunately, on the coastal marshes, you see a lot of fragmites, but oh, yeah. bull rushes, um, depending on where you are, there's either widgeon grass or eelgrass. Eelgrass is more up in the Virginia parts of the state. We have some some widgeon grass down here, but, you know, there's just different types of marsh plants that are sitting out there. I don't sense it's hard to, to focus on those. Usually don't go for those um, for management purposes. At least from my opinion, I'm just I'm looking at a duck all right. Yep. So anything that I can get into and I can manipulate um, to help myself and others shoot a duck. So. And how how big is your average duck hole? I prefer an acre because then I can get them within shooting range. <laughs> okay. But um, if it's bigger than that, it's harder <laughs> to, to draw them in. I got you. Right, but I mean, a lot of the impoundments are anywhere from. From three acres to to thirty acres, so. And when you say impoundment, the impoundment is like a diked off um, area that you're flooding, right? Right. That's okay. Correct. Thanks. Okay. Just want to get that get that out of the way. Yeah, um, it's not always like that. You do have areas that were basically more soil units anyway, and they naturally flood, so. I know we have like a rain season. We have our spring spring rain, and then we have thunder showers throughout the, the summer. But um, I'd really call our rain season hurricane season. That's that's when the water comes in, and then you get all the rain there. And from the hurricanes, they push the water up, and then come fall winter time, a lot of places are going to hold water. And it's your job just to make sure you you disc right, you get the moist soil in there and you pray for enough rain that it'll flood it um, if you don't have it diked up. Okay. Okay, yeah, I know um, here in Michigan, like I told you before we started recording, uh, I pretty much grew up duck hunting, and we have a bunch of of man- state-managed units. We have one in Muskegon. We have one up in Harsons Island um, that I hunt a lot, one up at Fish Point. There's probably seven or eight of them. Um, and it's all, you know, diked off, flooded corn and marsh. And it's, uh, your story earlier about how they all fly in just after shooting hours, you couldn't hit the nail better on the head. I mean, it's like watching a show and you can't even, you can reach out and touch them, but you can't shoot them, you know. It's, um, right. it's pretty cool. And I was just thinking, Brian, both Mike down in Ohio and Chris out in Nebraska, our land plant clients, both have experience with this they're both um diking up you know making impoundments and 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 duck shooters not on chris's new farm or his you know his new farm his old farm but mike's farm for sure i mean that was like duck hunting paradise down there yeah that was impressive for sure now now Furman. oh go ahead yeah y'all were close to the great lakes and things like that up north and I feel like with all the cities we have on the Atlantic um, seaboard, it's, I think that's helping stop some of our migration further down south as well. But I know y'all are up there where you can actually get a hold of some of the migration. Um, yeah. Down I mean, in North Carolina, it's hitting this. Okay. And, and why is that? You think, like, like why is it hitting this? 
I want to say a couple of factors, but really leaning towards weather. Yeah, I think um, so too. Yeah, your teal, they're they're typically going to come down anyway because I think they're they're basically, I think they have like a, a time just encarved in their DNA. Like, hey, today's the day. Let's get up. We're just, let, let's go. Um, where other ducks are, you know what? It's starting to get chilly outside. I, I think it's time to go down south, take a vacation. Right. right. I mean, we don't have, you know, I don't have a dozen – full sprigged pintails landing in front of me but we have shot a couple and and like they're around on good weather days if they get blown off the big water they'll come into some of these managed units and whatnot um but yeah like we'll, we'll shoot a mixed bag sometimes that where, where i'm from we shot a lot of woodies a lot of teal a lot of mallards um i had a couple of buddies yeah i mean it's it's decent well i think we're in Maybe the edge of a flyway. I don't think we're really in a in a in a real great flyway. I could be totally wrong on that, but I think you being closer to the I coast, think you're or at Pen- least eastern. You're Pennsylvania or Michigan? I'm in Michigan. Brian's in Pennsylvania. Know. Okay. All right. Yeah, Michigan. I think you're at the beginning of the Mississippi Mississippi flyway. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like right. But we're I think we're you know a little on the on the eastern side of it, um, and then. It's been getting so warm these these Decembers the last couple of years. I mean, the birds, the the migrators, the real you know the, the blacks and the cans, they're not coming down till real late, and um, it's just uh, nothing's froze up either. You know, everything's yeah. been left wide open. Yeah. I, I've I've seen days which I, again I'm not a guide, and there's there's guys on the eastern seaboard that are just straight religious. I mean, that's all they do is diver and sea duck hunting. And even as a public hunter, I have noticed that the number of, of divers that come down, for the most part, are less and less every year, and they're getting hold up. When we do know divers come down, it's because the boys up in Virginia are hammering them out. Um, mm. And they usually don't even make it down this way. Really? Uh, the redheads and pintails, though, they're a different story. If you ever want a really awesome hunt, I highly suggest finding somebody in Hatteras or or Ocracoke and jumping in one of those sink boxes out in the middle of the sound and having nothing but pintails and red redheads come and land on top of you. Um, I would do that tomorrow morning there. if I could do that. <laughs> wow. There's a couple of folks out there that are grandfathered in. Um, you're... Technically, sink boxes are illegal, but out there, and they take you out in skiffs, and you get dropped off, and you're basically in the middle of a sandbar um, in a box, standing on the ground, and the water's about, I don't know, knee to waist deep around you, and you've got pallets of wood with decoys on them, and then you just got decoy spreads everywhere around you, and you're about eye level with the water almost, maybe chest level, and you're dry because you're in a box. There's a little bit of water around your feet, but, um, yeah, they come right on into you. Jeez. Which so, John, is, when we down. were uh, trying to get you set up to come on the show, you had some projects going on. And something that you mentioned that got Jared and I's attention, you mentioned walking through a marsh in your bare feet, planting some waterfowl aquatic plants. <laughs> Walk us through what you were doing and um, what you were planting. Sure. So this particular piece was 
and empowerment. Um, been working with the owners of it, and they've just been super nice working with me so we can try to figure out, you know, how to attract goats the most. And half of it got put in corn this year, and the other half didn't. Um, but they worked with the farmer. The farmer was able to disc one side. And we had a lot of rain last week. And then we're also building up our path. So kind of had a dilemma. I had 24 hours to go in there and try to get something in the ground or just let the moist soil come up alone before the next rain. And I've really taken a liking to millet. It's, it's my go-to. I know a lot of people like corn or they'll try milo, um, rice, which really rice is hard to get in North Carolina that's um, not conventional. I tried to get in a hold of some clear field, but what you have to spray on it isn't allowed in North Carolina, so now I'm fighting an uphill battle like, well, how do I get some rice that I can keep clean? Because um, a lot of the conventional rices I tried to plant, they would basically sprout, come up, you would see what looks like a seed head, but then when you crimp it open, it would be empty. Um, so rice is kind of hard for me, but I'm going to continue working at it, see if I can get some. But I, my go-to is millet, and specifically a golden millet. I tried brown top, Japanese. Japanese likes wet feet, but it takes a long time to grow. And by the time you have to put it in the ground, if you're with a farmer that's planting corn, you got to, to work around them when they spray corn, keep it clean, things like that, so it don't kill your crop. So by the time you get your, your Japanese millet in, let's say end of July, beginning of August, you better pray and hope that it grows by the time, you know, winter hits or the first frost. Sure. Uh, but I found golden millet last year. And I got it in, and it was a complete game changer for me. Um, it handled wet feet a little bit like Japanese rice, but it took 60 days to mature. So getting into August, okay. I got it in, and it definitely helped. So this year, what I've decided to do is since they've allowed me to have one side of this particular place, I've gone in and went ahead and put golden millet in now. Um I spread it out. I'm hoping that it comes up. I'm hoping moist soil plants come up. Um, I'm hoping that it comes up. It matures in 60 days, so by the end of July, it does its thing, drops its seeds, and then it regerminates. So I have another crop with moist soil going into October or September, October, um, maturing by that time. So yeah, okay. golden millet was was the one thing I planted, and then. I also did a little something different this year. I've heard a lot about buckwheat and been doing a lot of research about it. And I've I've heard y'all talk about it. I've heard deer hunters talk about how they'll plant buckwheat and then once it dies, they'll go in and they'll seed and then the buckwheat falls down or you crimp it, which in waterfowl management, you can't manipulate anything. So sure. when it comes to these crops, I'm just, I'm praying that, their maturity runs out, and by the time they mature and drop their seed and start to whittle, they drop to the ground and attract bugs. And while they're doing it, I'm putting another seed down to pop up in between them. 
maximize my, my food. So when you're going to broadcast the golden millet, is it just kind of like a, a muddy seed bed with no water sitting on top of it? Or what, what's that look like when you go in to broadcast that? Depends on the property or the duck hole, per se. Um, this particular place is, like I said, the farmer did a really good job and worked with us, and I went ahead and dissed this field. And as you saw, um, it was really muddy. I didn't want to tear the field up with any type of ATV, so I went and got barefoot down, and I just I broadcasted it onto the wet soil. I knew rain was coming within another 24 hours, and that it would soak the seed in. Wow. And it's a very tiny seed, so. So what you're looking second. for, you you can't. What you're saying is you can't really throw that if there's like standing water. You have to wait till it's kind of more of a muddier, drier stage. That's correct. Okay. Which I mean, another thing to, to look at is if you've got an, an inch of water that's standing there from a rain and it's 70 to 90 degrees or 100 degree days, that inch of water is going to dry out fairly quick within a day. So that gotcha. seed's just going to get a little wet, hit the ground. It's got moisture in it. So as soon as it hits the ground, this stuff just takes off running. So how are those ducks yeah. using that millet? Is there a certain time, that a certain stage of growth, or a certain uh, uh, water depth that they're using it? Your puddlers, like six to eight inches of water. Some say up to, to 10 to 12. But... Millets, what I like about it is it does provide a seed head that the ducks love and enjoy, but it also attracts bugs, um, your invertebrates, things like that. It gotcha. decays as as the time goes on, and it, I think bugs are the best thing for, for a bird any day. So. Interesting. So the buckwheat, is that something yeah. you just started using, or have you had some experience with it, it within the last year or so? It's, it's, it's really the first time I've focused and dialed in on it. Um, going back to you saying, hey, you know, how do you prep your beds, things like that. Well, one of the other holes that I put in gold millet out and then trying it basically was a moist soil field that wasn't tilled. It had a lot of vegetation um, I used the ATV with a drag um, with like quarter inch steel and four inch, you know, spikes, drug it through and busted it up. And I threw golden millet out on top of it. I threw some brown top and then I also was testing some buckwheat. And the year I did that, I didn't have a chance to flood it. It flooded on its own. It's natural. And I noticed that the ducks really took to it. I don't know if it was just the golden millet or just the buckwheat because it was the first time, and I I probably should have done one or the other, but I did both at the same time, and I had really good results in a place that typically didn't have ducks anymore. Um, it really brought them in. So, so I've, I've, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. Um, so I looked at some of our northern places that have used buckwheat as a cover crop. And then I've noticed um, on different chats and just reading up on things that buckwheat has been a real good attractant 
to bugs and um, it provides a good seed. So I uh, saw a couple of videos and a couple of articles about how people were successful with it. And so this time I was like, well, I can get my millet in the ground and it's dirty with some moist soil and butt wheat matures about the same time the millet does and one or the other is going to out, maybe outcompete each other in certain spots. If I if I pattern it and strip it right, maybe I can get a mix of the two, and then anything sure. I miss in between is going to be moist soil. So very cool, it's a big old buffet. Yeah, looking forward to seeing your results with that for sure. So, are you using any type of inoculant or coming back and fertilizing, or is this something you just set it and forget it? You can set it and forget it, but listening to y'all's podcast. Y'all got me hooked on killer food plots. <laughs> um, That'll happen. We're hooked on it too. <laughs> um, given some places, and I, I know we, we're specifically talking about one place right now in particular that y'all have seen, but um, some of the other places, you know, when a farmer goes in and you, the landowner works with the farmer to put corn in the ground, um, a lot of the times they put fertilizer in the ground also. Um, so with the moist soil unit, there was no fertilizer when I spread the seed, whereas in some of the cornfield stuff that I have access to, I, I put the seed out probably knowing the farmer spread some, some fertilizer in there. Um, and I just get lucky. So, okay. But the moist soil unit, I was like, wait a minute. I've been reading up on this. It's killer food plots, and I've heard about it. Let me check it out. And last year I got two gallons of the Soul Defender, mm-hmm. and um, I think I got another gallon or two and a half gallon of the Aqua Shield, which I'll get yes. to in a second. That, that's another thing. Um, but, man, that Soul Defender is something else. So I didn't mix it to the ratio it recommended. I mean, I, I did it light because I had a big area, but still where I could see my strips on it, um, the moist soil and all the plants that were that were hit by it were just exploding. Um, Excellent. Almost to the point I, I got worried. I was like, wait a minute. I ain't going to have enough sheet water. This stuff keeps growing. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, um, well, walk us through while you're on that subject. Walk us through those two products and, and how you applied them and, and kind of what your results were. All right. Well, so I guess the cat's out of the bag for people that listen to this and duck hunt. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, all right. Well, you know, I think some people say it's like uh, what um, a sin to talk about your duck hole and what you do. Um, you don't want your other folks to know, but I'm more more like, hey, look, I want you to know because yeah, the more you and I attract, the more ducks are going to come our way versus the other way. Yeah, absolutely. More than that's, that's where we're at too. And, yeah, and corn ain't doing it. I'm sorry. Corn can it can get you ducks. You can have good good shooting depending on the weather, but for the most part, they're gonna go in there and roost. And I don't I don't want that. Um, I want folks shooting ducks and enjoying and having a good time. And so, um, but anyhow, going back to the soil defender. Um, so basically, I have a 40 gallon tank um, on the back of an ATV. And in the moist soil unit, I just really, I just, I dumped the whole gallon in there with a 40-gallon tank, and I just went 
medium speed and, and let the floodgates open. And I was like, I'm going to strip it, and we're going to see what it does with what I got stripped. Um, and it did great. I should probably have a better technique to it, but um, that's what's so, so perfect about duck hunting. Um, it's lazy farming to an extent. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever works. Right. Now, the aqua shield, um, I heard about how it cleared water, um, how it was like basically taking a, a schoolyard for, full of kids and dumping it in a retirement home on bacteria. And I really like that because a lot of the places that are impounded, usually they have this thing called a borrow ditch inside the dikes where they basically borrow dirt from one side and to stack up the other side and also at the same time build the dike. So typically it always holds water. Um, a good impoundment, you should probably have your risers to the outside of the dike as low as the borrow ditch, but it never really works out. Um, but anyhow, your borrow ditch, it gets all the runoff from the farmer. It gets all the runoff from everything. Um, most of the time it stays real muddy and murky. Um, there's one place that has some trees in the middle of the impoundment, and the runoff goes there as well, and I saw it murky, but there was always a little bit of smart weed here and there. And I was listening to a podcast where a gentleman, I think it was out in Oklahoma somewhere or something, um, they had a lot of rain, and they couldn't get out there, and they couldn't get their crops in the ground. And the field stayed underwater, but for some odd reason, the water was clear, and smart weed just shot up, and it was just a, a pink full of, a field full of pink smart weed. And I was like, wait a minute. Here I am. I've heard about Aqua Shield. How can I, how can I clear the water up in the ditches where smart weed is and get it to fill up? So I took a gallon of it, or two and a half gallons, and I dumped in this small little slough. And it had two little tiny ditches that weren't a foot wide but ran the length of the property. And in this slough, I'd say it was 20 by 20 yards. And it wasn't that deep, but it was just murky and nasty. And then I dumped that aqua shield in there, and next thing I know, it cleared up like it was supposed to. And when my fingers crossed, you could just look under the river birches, and it was nothing but pure paint. Um, that's so amazing. Come duck season, it was kind of like a trifecta in that particular hole. Um, I hit it with the aqua shield, cleaned the ditches up. My smart weed was able to see light um, through the murky water and pop up. And so the river birches were full of full of good stuff, natural stuff. The edges were were golden millet, um, a little bit of rice and mainly moist soil, and then you just you know you had your king of everything is corn apparently and so there was cornfields in the middle um come flooding time it they didn't hit the corn until the last two weeks of january while everybody else's corn was getting eaten out wow. enough moist soil well done millet, well done and i mean the bugs too right so so with that clear water smart weed coming up the snails were there the bugs were there and it was like a trifecta of things that just it worked out perfect. Wow. Probably won't happen this year though. I <laughs> 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 uh, haven't made my order yet. I'm kind of running behind, but I definitely need to make my order soon. Yeah, make sure you get that. Make sure you get that discount code there, Furman. 
All right. I'll, I'll definitely hit it up. So, And that's probably an, another uh, secret cat out of the bag that I'm probably going to get scolded about. Why did you say that? But, <laughs> hey, man, I, I'm just all well, about attracting a duck. So. Nick, Nick will definitely appreciate it, that's for sure. <laughs> well, great products. I need to get some more. Um, Absolutely. I've also told some folks about it um, as well. Like, hey, you know, have you tr- have you thought about applying anything to clean your water up? Have you thought about, you know, applying fertilizer to your moist soil? Um, Outstanding. And people were just like, were like, well, no. Why would I? Why would I get fertilizer to weed, Furman? <laughs> because you like shoot ducks, and that's what attracts ducks. Makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now that we got some of these secrets out of the bag, is there any other tips or tricks that uh, you have? You got these beautiful food sources now. What else do you do to kind of make take those um, duck holes to the next le- next level? Um, I run them out of my roost um, if it's a cornfield, and I'm if I go down there hunting, I, I know they're going in that corn roosting, and I run them out. Get out of there. Come back in the morning. I want you to, I want to use you to use this place as refuge, not as a roost. You want to roost? Go to neighbor's corn. Eat it up. Um, <laughs> Good idea. Stay out of my hole. <laughs> um, nice. The places don't get hunted a lot, right? They're, they're private landowners. They get to hunt once or twice, and they allow me access to hunt it. And you know, I, I might hunt it once or twice without them, or I might just hunt with them the whole time and not hunting any other time. So when I'm there, if I'm hunting a duck hole way over here, but I'm staying at one place and I'm paying attention to the other duck holes to see what the behavior is, if I see they're roosting it, uh, I'm walking in there, I'm going to, hey, get out of my crop. Um, you can come back in the morning, just don't come back during the night. So, so Furman, if you're uh, – th- that's a that's a great tip there. Um I wouldn't have thought about that, getting them out of their the roost there. Um, are there any other projects per se that that you work on? We've covered, you know, adding some some foods, some different aquatic vegetation. Um, are you adding cover, or is the food the cover? I know I know it kind of is when it grows out of the water. The ducks are pretty small; they're in and about that. What, what other projects are you working on? Um, you know, with you and the duck hole company. All right. So that, that brings up a good question. I kind of went down a rabbit hole around your basic private um, impoundment. But like I said, a true duck hole is going to hold water of some sort year-round. Um, and along with that, you're, you're really looking at, like, flooded timber swamps, and that has your native stuff with cover. Um, okay. There's a, a lot of information out there about um, hemi marshes and studies along those lines. Of you really want 50-50. You want 50% cover to 50% water. And, uh, you know, you can read about it and, and learn a lot about it by reading or listening to auto, uh, auto books or, or podcasts. But what really knocked it out of the park with me was I went to a friend's piece of property and it was basically bear country, had a bunch of pines around it, and then had a couple of hardwoods. 
and right slap that back right or excuse me at the back of the corner um there was a little bit of flooded timber with about a four or five acre hole in it that was partly almost like I had some some marsh some coastal marsh plants in there that I was surprised about um but at the same time it was holding one of my favorite shrubs that I've always loved and I'll tell you that at the end. I don't want to spoil. I know you asked that question of well, what's your favorite tree, um, but um, it was holding this particular shrub that had a fruit on it, and it wasn't an oak tree. And it got me thinking about, okay, wait a minute. And then this was also during the time of 2019 when there really wasn't a whole lot of ducks down, but this place was holding a pile of wood ducks, and there was some other ducks in there too, but. It was just flooded with duck, wood ducks, and I looked at it, and I've been reading about Hemi Marsh, so I pulled the map up, and I looked down, and sure enough, it was about 50-50, covered of water. Um, it wasn't tall timber. The trees were, were 10 to 12 foot tall. They were, they're not going to get any bigger because they're a shrub, um, or a, shrubby, a scrub tree is the best way to put it, um, but that's something I'm working on right now. Um, I've got my own piece of property that I haven't released to my friends yet, uh-huh. and I'm working on buying this particular shrub and trying to fill in certain areas where I have, okay, 50% cover, 50% water. If some of the water is covered up or has moist soil in it, is it still visible from the sky when they fly over it? Um, can they still see through some of it? and is the water there. That's that, that height cover ratio. And then having an open hole of water um, that they can land in. So okay. we're going to um, right now, trying to manipulate that using nothing but native um, shrubs and trying to avoid millet at all costs or any type of hot crop like that. Yeah, uh, super intriguing. And, and just to get a little um, definition behind it, when you're saying cover to open water, I understand open water. Is the cover that's there's still water? It's still flooded in the cover, right? Right. You, okay. It is. Okay. It's got it's got some moisture to some extent. Okay. So, um, if you look at some of the projects that are out there in in your area, up in Canada, things like that, like the breeding yeah. grounds, I know that. That you have water spots here and there, and then there's native grasses, grasslands that they can walk up in. No, you're right. Hit, but you're right. They, they might be a little bit dry, but there is some moisture to them. No, you're right. So. That's exactly what they do. They hug those edges. They get up in those edges. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the other thing I was thinking about, well, what about timber? How does that work if, if you need dry land to water? But then if you look at, like, flooded timber areas, is the whole thing flooded, but there's 50% open water in the flooded timber. So you still have that cover and the open water. That's what I thought you meant. Kind of, well, okay. that's, I, I think you can almost interpret both of them kind of similar. Um, but, again, somebody might scold me and say, you don't know what you're talking about. But, hey, you know, it is what it is. It's what I'm seeing what I'm thinking. Sure, sure. And I, I like the point that, that you brought up, like it's still just some moist soil. It might be dry. Um, I think about a, a cattail marsh where we hunt up here. Like if you shoot a duck 
and it falls in the water and it's still alive, it takes off towards the cover. And the cover is the cattails, the edge. And it gets up in there and buries itself in the stuff and or it dives down and and, and uh, you know, holds its breath or grabs the terms roots. Yeah, grab some roots and, and just block those. What's it called? Yeah. I call it a duck dive. Duck dive, yeah. Exactly. And but to your point, they're going up in that in that dry ground to get away, and, and that's their safety, that's their cover. So, no, thanks for thanks for defining that for me. And do you want, when the ducks are flying over, do you want them to see water through the cover, or do you want them to be like, there's the open water, there's the cover? I mean, I'd prefer them to be able to see the water. Okay, um, yeah. Because if you, if you look at a pattern of a duck, I don't know if you've ever heard the story, it's not really good to... The duck hunt after a full moon, but some people say it is, um, depending on the area you're in. But when they're flying in that full moon, and they're way on up there, that full moon's hitting that water, and it's glaring at them like a shiny diamond to a woman. Ooh, I got to get there. Uh, I need that. So, <laughs> Good point. As, my, as I'm saying to my wife. <laughs> Good point. So, uh, it's like, ooh, there's a shiny diamond, and, and say... You need some clearance. Some some ducks don't just want to land in, you know, grass because it'll get in their fur and all that. Or not their fur, but their feathers. My dog just walked in. So, um, but yeah, that's that's what I try to look for if I can. No man, this is this um, has been this has been great. Uh, do you have any other tips or tricks you want to hit before we get to the uh, the favorite tree or shrub here? <laughs> Um, well, I would like to say a few things, right? So one is I wouldn't call myself a habitat manager or a land manager. Um, I'm, I'm just a guy right now. I've got some friends and we just love duck hunting. Um, as I've started trying to attract ducks more, uh, my friends have yelled at me a lot lately, especially this season when I I don't shoot because I'm more focused on where are the ducks landing? Why are they landing there? What are they eating? Um, I had one of my buddies yell at me, say, hey, Furman, pick up the dang on gun. Like, there's ducks piling in, and you're not shooting. Um, this, And I was like, wait a minute, you're right. Excuse me. <laughs> so, uh, um, Good problem to but, have. No, I, I, I think that yeah, makes you a habitat right? manager. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. You qualify. <laughs> Well, I, I like attracting ducks. Um, I'm starting to turn more into a bird watcher and an observer. I, I'm really quick to leave a gun to to go in a hole. Somebody says, "Hey, I got access to. Show me what you know, or tell me what you think." I'll be real quick to um, just take the dog in there, drop the gun, walk in there, and just observe. And then it teaches my dogs patience as well. Um, Very that, cool. That's, that's kind of how I am. I'm not an outfitter, which you know, again, I praise these outfitters, and they they go out and they have these massive tracks that they have to maintain to attract ducks. Whereas me, I'm just you know I'm a small guy. Like, show me a duck hole, let's get you some local ducks in there, and if it's in a good flight way, you'll probably get some other ducks too. So, I love it. I love it. Yeah, and, and like Brian said, I'm pretty sure that makes you a habitat manager. So, I think you qualify. Do do we are we really land managers or does the man manage manage us? 
Yeah, you should point. That's a, that's a point. great. That's a great question. I haven't heard that, and uh, probably got a lot of truth to it. It's the reason we're doing this whole thing. Goes on my head. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of what what goes on my head. I'm like, now here I am trying to manage something, when really it's just managing me. It's if you look at a piece of a landscape, like let's just say for ducks or deer, most of the time, depending on where it's at. It will tell you what it wants. You just yeah. have to sit back and listen to it and observe. Um, and then throw some icing on the cake every now and then. Yeah, and, and to your point, when I'm out there, am I thinking that, that I'm the special part of the day or the land is the special part of the day? It's always the land, every single time. Like, I'm just enamored every time I'm out there. And, it's yeah, it's, that's a great point there, Furman. Now let's. Uh, well, maybe that's the smartest thing you take away from me. Yeah. Well, hey, I, <laughs> it's been a great conversation, and I want to absolutely. I want to. Um, I want to hear what you've done to your own property. You know, in a year or two from now, when when you've had some time to test out some more of your theories and and get some, you know, get some data. Um, but in the meantime, we gotta we gotta wrap this up with your favorite tree or shrub for the habitat work you do here creating duck holes so let's hear it man all right so my favorite tree is a river birch um i love the river birch because it tells me where the water is and it basically tells me all right there there was water here or water comes here during some type of flood stage and if I find a river birch and there is water, then there's a high possibility there's going to be a wood duck right there. Um, because a lot of people look at trees and they're thinking, I want a tree that, that, that drops its fruit in the fall that I can shoot it up where I'm thinking of a tree that drops its fruit during the spring um, that's good for, you know, wood ducks to eat on and produce plenty of babies that I can take advantage of later <clears throat> so the river birch is um, my favorite tree but the specific um, shrub or, or, or scrub tree I would per se call it is um, the chokeberry the chokeberry that's that's the secret huh um, there's other ones, uh, that are fruit trees like that, that drop a red berry, but a lot of them drop it in the spring, which is great, right? But this particular one, it'll drop its fruit up until around October. Wow. Perfect timing. Um, yeah, seriously. Perfect timing. So, um, it grows anywhere from, I don't know, I'd say 6 to 12 feet tall. It's a native um, bush, per se. Uh, it can grow in about anything, but you find it a lot in wetlands. I think a lot of times you don't see it. It's because the wetland was was basically harvested at some time and replanted with something else and um, just got destroyed during it. So I find it here and there, but it's supposed to be plentiful. And whenever I do find it, um, and it's a flooded area. I find ducks. <laughs> and it likes um, it likes it, wet feet. Obviously, nice. you said flooded area, so it, it likes yeah. wet feet. 
Yep. And it'll hold shade all summer long, so your wood ducks can get up under there and, and get shade and eat bugs, things like that. And then basically it drops these nice red berries come fall and early winter. And it's what really turned me on to, okay, if I, if I have a, a perfect duck hole and like the property I have now, I have a chance to do it with. It's, it's my property. Um, I want to go in there and I want to try to get it established. I know some people will use things like willows and thing, um, other shrubs to kind of get, you know, cover during the winter, things like that. But this thing, for some reason, you can give give the same effect to some extent. You can give it that cover, but you're also pro providing it with um, a natural food. Um, the only, I think, bad caveat to it is you got to be careful because for some odd reason, when you find big thickets like that, you usually find a big four or 500-pound black bear sitting around there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> oh boy! <I> can't you. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, I, I, it just struck me really odd. I, I went to a place, and again, like I said, it was—you wouldn't expected the ducks to be there, and then it was just like the perfect height cover. Um, the roots in the tree itself were kind of on little islands inside the swamp. Uh, where you know dirt had built up and kind of washed little little gaps in there. If you ever flood like flood or if you ever drain a swamp, you'll see soil build up around certain trees, and the trees are close enough to develop like these small islands. Um, I usually find it there growing, and then by the time it floods up, it's still at that that perfect height where it drops that fruit and they got cover. So, yep, that would be it. That is awesome. That is absolutely awesome. I know we have a lot of duck hunters that listen to the show. Um, our buddy Mike is definitely one of them. I mean, if you guys saw his Ohio properties, these are just loaded with ducks. And uh, beautiful. I'm not sure I saw any chokeberry. So, what do you know, Furman? That was that was great. Uh, really appreciate you know you coming on. Um, let us know or let the listeners know how they can find you on Instagram and follow you and. Uh, you know, keep keep tabs on what you're doing. Sure. Um, so you can find me at the Doco Company on Instagram. Um, I'm up there. I try to post some content to an extent. Um, that's that's the best base best place to reach me. I don't have a website right now. Um, I am going to work on that, but I just kind of need to see where things go. Uh, I'm a go with the flow type of person, and most your your duck hunters when they're weekend warriors like this. You just kind of got to go with the flood. So you, you try to set a plan, but Mother Nature throws you a curveball every time. So. <laughs> uh, yep. But that's where you yes, can reach sir. me, and usually you can hit me up. The other thing I I, I want to do a shout out is, um, you know, I, I I manage the Charlotte Ducks Unlimited page on Instagram and Facebook, and typically if you message them, you you'll have me on the other line as well. So um, please volunteer at your, your local DU chapter if you can and and really network. And it's a, a great area to meet duck hunters. We're a declining species. The number of stamps that are being sold are starting to be less and less every year. And uh, like I said, I think we're almost like a dying breed nowadays. 
and it's hard to get folks back out into duck hunting because everybody wants to be so secret uh, about their sure. duck hole. Uh, yeah, that's a good, good tip for our listeners. Yeah. Now, now, but thank you, Anna. Of course, man, and and thank you. Uh, what what's your your duck hole company is at the duck hole company? What's the Charlotte du Instagram handle? Um, at nc underscore charlotte underscore du. Got it. Thank I you. believe so. Yeah, I'm about to lie to you now. <laughs> no, it's um, it's nc underscore charlotte underscore du. There's another one that's similar, but um. Yeah, okay, yours is a lot better. Okay. It's, yeah, I had to pick it back up a couple of years ago, and it just, I don't know. It's Instagram, you try to get access to an account you, you can't get to sure. um, anymore. They won't take it down. So. Yeah, we got, a, we got a lot of deer hunters, obviously, that listen to this podcast, and um, you listeners that don't know much about Ducks Unlimited or care to hunt ducks, check it out. Uh, those stamps go a long way to supporting the uh, uh, habitat. And, you know, duck habitat is whitetail habitat. I mean, obviously they're not going to spend much time in the water, but a lot of those funds go to buying more property and securing more habitat for not only just the ducks, but deer, turkeys, and everything else that benefits from it. So I, I forget what the uh, duck stamps are, but they're not very expensive. Just Go out and get one. I buy one for everybody in my family every year. So even though I don't get the duck on as much as I used to, but uh, definitely check them out for sure. Yeah, well said, Brian. I know, okay. um, you know, I think they're 25, 25 bucks here in Michigan, and, and you're just either way. I go once. I go one weekend a year, but the habitat that you're that you're supporting to help you're doing. I mean, du and um, Delta waterfowl. These are, these orgs are huge, like they're way bigger than a lot of the, the deer orgs that we know out there. So they're getting some work done, and um, you know we support them. And John, thanks so much for coming on, man. We really do appreciate it. And uh, again, just thank you. Hey, you're welcome. Um, and I will. I forgot to tell you the uh, the only buck I have on my wall I killed in the swamp. That was <laughs> there you go. Rigged. Um, and my stand, I had to use waders to get to. So very cool. You're a freaking hunting beast already, man. I love it. Thanks, John. Hey, take care, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor, leave us a five star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, T-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal we can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. 
and thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Hunchwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. It's the most exciting fishing that I know, right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome! Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight, Western. Oh, mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.